it's exciting, and we kind of got, uh, I don't know how you put it, but God really grabbed us with the series out of Jeremiah this last six months, and now we're segueing into Ephesians. I'm feeling the same way. These are challenging times, as people have said, and so sometimes when things are challenging, you say, what is God doing? You ever wonder what God's doing? What's God doing in my life, right? What's happening? Well, something. How can we tell? So last week, we did a little bit of theological work. You may recall, we saw that evil is at work in the world system, human flesh, the devil. But we also were reminded, what we know, that all are saved by grace, right? And so we've got new life, new power, new purpose. So again, the question is, what is happening? What is God doing? And so... You can maybe write this down. You can look at it real quick right now. We're not going to elaborate on this, but there's a, there's a structural clue in Ephesians. These first three conclusions in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 10, we found out that God wills to unify all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. This huge cosmic plan, right? That's the first clue. The second clue, just a little bit of a hint that we're going to see more of today in chapter 1, verse 23, is that somehow, in some way, the church is Christ's body filling the earth. Somehow. He doesn't quite explain it right in that verse, right? Somehow we're filling the earth. And then chapter 2, verse 10, last week we saw that, you know, the verses we all know, many of us know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that were saved by grace. But he concludes that verse with the third key in the first part of the book, that, that we, the church, are created for good works. So, so put that together a little bit before we go on. It's kind of where we've been so far, right, is that God wills to unify all things in heaven and earth in Christ, reconciling all things to himself through Christ, and that somehow the church, us, ordinary people, somehow as we live our lives, we fill out the ministry, filling the whole earth in every way, as he says in that 123, And so how is that? Well, chapter 2, verse 10 gives us a hint that somehow the good works of the church fill the earth with his presence, right? So how does it all fit together? We'll look at that today. And I was kind of, um, I preached through Ephesians before, and I've studied it, and I've really, I think I've diagrammed every single Greek sentence, and you know what I mean, I've gone, done, 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 over and over. But I saw something this year that I'd never seen before. Uh, we all know, or you may know by now, that the uh, opening blessing in chapter one is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Spirit. What I'd never seen before is what we're going to look at today is also a second repeat of a Trinitarian pattern. Very interesting. How does it all fit together Here's how it fits together. We, the church, demonstrate the reality of God. Well, how does the church demonstrate God's reality? So we'll look at that today. Several ways the church demonstrates God's reality. The first way we demonstrate his reality is by showing the redemption of the Son. So read with me Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 16 giving you my own translation, so it might vary a little bit from what's up there. Don't worry. All right, so starting in verse 11, 
Therefore, remember that you at one time, the Ephesians, were Gentiles with reference to the flesh. That is, you were those called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision with reference to what is done in the flesh by the hand of men. Because you were at that time without Christ, that is, alienated from citizenship in Israel, and strangers with respect to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you at one time were far away, have become near by the blood of Christ, because he is our peace, who has made both one by destroying the barrier wall, namely the enmity in his flesh, by abolishing the law of commandments with its decrees in order that he might make the two into one new man in himself by making peace. And in order that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by killing the enmity in himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as you sent Jesus to the cross, that he became the great shock absorber of the universe taking the enmities and hatreds in himself. Father, we pray that as we understand, begin to understand his reconciliation of us to God, that we might live out our reconciliation to one another. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's some salvation historical things in the backdrop here I'll bring out. As we walk through here, verse 11, 12, and 13, the Gentiles were separated from the Jews by the law covenant. Why? We'll go back to 1300 BC. You've got the descendants of Abraham are coming out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses, called to be the people of God, but thoroughly paganized. So God gave Israel laws to teach them holiness and to keep paganism out. This created a necessary separation if the Jews would retain God's revelation and covenants and their identity. It's a little bit like some of you. Now, people come to Christ in different ways. Some people kind of grow up in it and they, okay, they realize they need to follow Jesus. They never really have a big rebellion and they just kind of flow, right? Other people, whether or not they're raised in a Christian home, have a little more dramatic conversion, right? So, so Israel's the dramatic conversion, right? They are, the, and so they, when you are more dramatically converted, sometimes you have to take some time and you got to separate yourself, figure out what you believe what you're supposed to be doing, right? You need a period of separation to protect your Christian identity, and then you re-engage with the needs of the world. Well, God did this for about a 1,000 years with Israel, right? And so what's going on is, for example, sacrificing animals. Well, everybody did that. Not everybody. Yeah, just about everybody did that in 1300 B.C., the people that didn't sacrificed people. So, you know, that was worse. But okay, so, you know, the idea of sacrifice for sin was a cultural idea. God took that practice, purified it of pagan associations, says don't do certain things. That's why some of the weird laws in Deuteronomy, that's because it was a pagan practice. That don't do that because that'll remind you of those past ways, right? And then he gave them uh, purified those practices and then directed them toward pure worship and a godly concept of holiness. So he gave them a bunch of separation laws. You ever read Leviticus for your devotions? 
No? <laughs> I can understand why not. It's not real interesting. It's, it's, you know, can I say that? It's true, right? It's, okay, why? Well, some of these laws uh, we see still have ethical import today, and some would just go, you know, well, what's going on? Well, again, it was to reinforce concepts of holiness, devotion, and purity. So God started from where they were and moved them to where he wanted them to be, and it took a time of separation to establish their identity about a thousand years, right? It helped them retain their identity when they finally got it straight, which took a long time. Uh, helped them to retain their identity, but some of the practices were not absolutes. Oh, well, it's true, right? They, they weren't absolute. They were just ha- they were cultural associations, you know. Uh, they were supposed to sacrifice fat-tailed sheep. Have you ever sacrificed a fat-tailed sheep? You haven't? You're disobeying the Bible. No, it was, you know, it was a cultural norm for the time, had an eternal principle behind it that's fulfilled in Christ, right? Uh, and so... So, uh, you know, you might call this the original social distancing plan, okay? <laughs> so God's like, you know, I don't want you to pick up these practices, so you've got to separate from these practices. But that was not God's ultimate intention. Look at now chapter 2 of, of Ephesians, verse 14. He himself was our peace. He's made the both one, destroying the barrier wall, the enmity in his flesh, by abolishing the law of commandments with its decrees, talking about the old covenant, that he might make one new, into the two, into one new man in himself by making peace, that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by killing the enmity in itself. So the commands were important for separation. But just like us, separation, went, they went beyond separation to hostility. Now, of course, you've never done this as a Christian, I'm sure. But they started looking down on those Gentiles. Instead of compassion for the lost and brokenness of the Gentiles around them, they were supposed to be the light to the nations. They felt superior, became arrogant. The Gentiles felt the alienation, and the result was hostility. How many of you have one or two significant cross-cultural friendships? Just go ahead, raise your hand, okay? Did you have to push through some misunderstanding on the way? Yeah, okay, right, right? We're all going, yeah, you know, and and I remember one one of my friends from Nigeria, uh, he came here, and, and he was trained as a sociologist, so he had some interesting tools to use in analyzing what was going on, right? But uh, he came here, and, you know, and at first he said, he thought to himself, these people are all racists. I mean, the whole of Minnesota, they're all racists. And he kept watching, a good sociologist, he's analyzing, he says, actually, they treat each other just as bad as they treat me. <laughs> and he realized that, the kind of in, what he experienced as indifference coming from northern Nigeria culture was just ordinary Minnesotan. Uh, any amens out there from non Minnesotans? <laughs> right? You know, like, this is community? Are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> right? Okay, there's cultural differences you got to work through. 
Any married couples experience male-female cultural difference? I won't go there. All right, that's another sermon. Okay, so uh, the, the hostility, the differences in cultural practice can go beyond differences to hostility. That happened, mockery, disdain, hatred, enmity. And this is the thing that struck me this time going through Ephesians. How did that enmity get dealt with? In the violence against Jesus' own flesh. He took the hatred and enmity in himself. Wow. I now get it. Uh, my kids will have to just bear with me here. But there's an old, um, there's an old Barry McGuire. He, he always talks between his songs, even though he is an old Jesus rocker anyway. Uh, he had this illustration about shock absorbers, and I never knew where he got it. Well, he got it right out of the Bible. Right? He talks about that, that we're, you know, when, when hatred and anger, and, you know, it, it goes bouncing around society, right? And uh, shock waves through the whole society, individual stuff. And when that hits you, he says you can either harden yourself and let it bounce off with even more power, or you can absorb it. And I realized he was probably thinking about this verse when he gave that illustration. Right? The enmity that bounces around, in their case, Jew-Gentile relationships, Christ took that hatred, that enmity in himself. He absorbed that violence in his suffering on the cross. This is the cross reconciles, it's literally the dividing wall of hostility he, he, he absorbed in his flesh. He took on he abolished, he did it by abolishing the, the law of commands. Anything? oh, he did away with all, all uh, rules? No. But this is the part that I'll just put it out there, and some of you are going to have to work this through, and you're thinking some of you have thought it through already, all right? It does say he abolished the law of commands with its decrees. In other words, he's not saying there's no moral truth for a Christian, but he's saying that the old covenant was now obsolete and was absorbed into what Paul calls the law of Christ, which includes the moral commands, the Ten Commandments, things that we regard as uh, correctly as eternally uh, significant because they are rooted in the, in the very nature of God, right? But there's all, large sections of the Old Covenant that are fulfilled in Christ that are no longer necessary. So he abolished that. It passes through the law, the Old Covenant passes through the law of Christ and then look at verse 11 again. This is the weirdest thing, okay? Remember at one time you were Gentiles with reference to the flesh. Huh? It's a little bit like saying to Nicole, you know, at one time you were a Kruger, but now you're, right? You were a Caucasian, but now you're in the covenant. What? And you know what? The, the Christians took, the early church took this and they actually said, we're the third race. They said, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. Now we're a third thing. Whether they were African background or European background or Middle Eastern background, they said, now we're the third race. That's the Christians. Wow. Talk about identity. That even their very ethnic identity they saw as in some sense changed in Christ. You were Gentiles, now you're in the covenant. The conclusion then, all are redeemed in Christ, new identity, 
the law is no longer the means of salvation and the hostility of cultural religion, even cultural religion instituted by God, is removed. Lamin Santa is a Nigerian. He's a, he's a sociologist at Yale. And he made the observation, he was comparing Islam and Christianity. And he said, I don't want to go too much into Islam right now, but he, he said that Islam is a monocultural religion. He said, what's interesting about Christianity is you look and everywhere, kind of on the analogy of Jesus' incarnation, everywhere it goes, it becomes incarnate. Always the same moral values, same savior, but slightly different cultural expressions. Isn't that fascinating? Right? Cultural religion set aside so that our identity is totally in Christ. Well, the implications for our day are clear, right? But they're important. All are equally God's children, certainly no matter your race, but also, and some of you need to think about this, all are equally God's children, whether you were the lifelong church member that never rebelled or the kid just saved out of the party scene, right? This is only approximate, but the Jew in a certain sense in our day is the churchgoer and the Gentile, the one, right, unfamiliar with the law of God. And he's saying all the hostility, or you can just pick, you know, pick a subgroup you have felt hostile toward. He's saying in Christ that hostility has been removed. And when we embrace this, here's the punchline. When we demonstrate that in our relationships, it manifests the redemption of the son. Now you're, you're in or not, you're in when you believe in Jesus, but we manifest to the world the redemption of Jesus when we live out that unity, they can see the redemption of the son. It's cheesy, but indulge my history. One of the first songs that I heard was from a, um, a group that had, it was part of a, the huge 70s revival, people getting baptized in the ocean in California. And so they wrote a, a song, Little Country Church on the Edge of Town, do, 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 you know what I mean, whatever. But uh, he said, and part of one of the lines was, for them, long hair, some short hair, some coats and ties, People are finally coming around, looking past the hair straight into the eyes. People are finally coming around. Hair was a big deal. In the, you know, length of hair, especially for men, was a big deal in those days. Their point was, they were trying to express in this little subcultural way for them, wow, nobody cares what you look like or your personal style as long as you're loving God and worshiping him. And they were right. If, if, even the silly little ditty that it is, they were right in that that manifests the redemption of the son when people overlook their differences and in Christ they find unity, right? You might have political differences with other believers. That's okay. We're not in heaven yet. We don't know, you know, more government, less government. Honest Christians debate that stuff, right? It's okay. The unity is in Jesus Christ. The unity is in Christ. And when we hold to that and manifest that, redemption becomes clear to a watching world. And they see, oh my gosh, there's something deeper than all of our little fights in our society. So the first way the, dem the, the church demonstrates God's reality is by showing the redemption of the son. Another way the church demonstrates God's reality is by showing the work of the spirit. Look at verse 17. 
And when he came, he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those near. To the effect that we both by one spirit have access to the Father through him, by the spirit. Therefore, then, you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, with the result that you're being built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone in whom the whole building grows into a holy temple in the Lord by being fitted together, in whom you also are being built together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Wow. uh, uh, The first manifestation of the Spirit is in verse 18. Preaching peace to you who are far away as the Gentiles, peace to those near. He's referring to the Jews there. But he's saying we both by one spirit have access to the Father through him. We both by one spirit have access to the Father. You have access to God himself. And when you seize hold of that, you manifest the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm telling you, this is where you have a real choice, okay? I, you know, I've known some Christians that it's been a long time, you know, the, right where the waves hit the shore. And the waves of the Spirit come and they, you know, they toddle around and they splash around. And then they're like, oh, you know, I don't know if God loves me. I'm not sure, you know. We'll talk about that next week. But anyway, uh, you know, so they you know, uh, and, and then there's those that, I mean, Brand new Christian, old Christian, but they just dive in. What I'm telling you is however you experience, however you figure this out, you know, when you start talking about the movements of the soul inside, it's all different for everybody. But by the Holy Spirit, you have access to the Father. And so by faith, you can just simply say, Lord, I don't really get it, but the Bible says that I can be with you right now. Okay, do it. (laughs) show me, open my eyes and heart. You have access to the Father, right? I know not all of us are natural mystics. That's okay. It's not about your, your, you know, it's just about you have access to the Father. And for some of you, that will be a very intellectual thing and you'll you'll walk in that way and it'll be powerful and that's great. Others are real emotional and you'll be like, well, it's incredible. You know, we'll we'll all go, that's wonderful, cool, great, we love it. You know what I mean? That's not about how you experience it in your emotion. It's about entering the presence of God by faith and living in his presence. And you do that by faith. You say, okay, your word says it, I'm going to believe it. But then, now we have some fun here. (laughs) Then he says in uh, verse 21, he says, in whom the whole building grows together into a holy temple in the Lord by being fitted together, being fitted together. Look at that phrase. Got a few Greek students here, so I'll say it out loud. Sunarmo, no, sunar, this is not the font I'm used to. Okay, sunarmonogumene, okay? Paul made it up. It occurs twice in all of Greek literature, okay? Paul made it up. He took a word from the carpenters, Hamalogeo, which means, you know, like you see, they used to do it with wood, now they do it with steel. They're building a, like an apartment building and they, right, they put it all up, right? And they get all those joints fitted right together, right? And right now they have, you know, uh, screws and they've got these, uh, you know, these uh, pneumatic 
hammers that have plastic nails and go, and they get the whole thing done in about a week, right? It's all fitted together perfectly. That's the word. But who, what's he talking about? He's talking about us. The Holy Spirit fits us together like a well-framed building, which means we're all different. Some of us stand up here and talk. Some of us get behind the scenes, organized sound. Some people are, many of us, caring for people all week long, right? Zoa bringing these to us, others like that behind the scenes, right? We're all fitted together like a well-framed building. And uh, it occurs only here in Ephesians 4.16. So it's either coined by Paul or his amanuensis, the guy that you know, he'd dictate to. And the picture of a well-framed or structured home, but then, verse 22, in whom you are, and here it is again, being built together. This is a little more common word. Built together with others. This is what the Holy Spirit does, Right? So in their case, it was Jew and Gentile. In North America, it is the multicultural unified church that manifests the work of the Holy Spirit. Fitted together, built together, unified. It demonstrates, look, what, what, what happens? You, know, you can have separate little churches. It's fine. You make it to heaven. But when you are able to manifest the unity in Christ, it reveals the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because people can't do that. Right? We can't do that on our own. It takes too much stretching. It's a manifestation. Um, you're being built into a dwelling place. Now, this is just for the KPAP. How many current or former KPA people we have here. Okay, this is for you, okay? So you may not know this, but I made up the initials KPA, it's, and it's right out of this verse, okay? It's, uh, it's um, katakeo pater agapau, dwelling place of the Father's love. That's what KPA stands for, right? Katakeo pater, Father, agapu of, of love, the love of the Father. The dwelling place of the Father's love. This is the only place other than Revelation 18.2 where the noun is used in the whole New Testament. Paul is ransacking the vocabulary to get across an important concept. We are all in Christ, no matter our background, being built together to manifest the reality of God to a watching world. And he says, then we're fellow citizens. You know, citizens have privileges. Not everyone here in this room is a citizen at this point. You get to vote, social security, identity, and responsibility to contribute to the common good. You know, it's interesting, even neighborhoods, it's not exactly citizenship, but even neighborhoods are different, right? I, I, uh, my kids grew up in Northeast Minneapolis, fun neighborhood, very diverse, a lot of, you know, a lot of cultures. But uh, unless you really made an effort, pretty isolated. So then we moved to this, you know, three miles away to this neighborhood in St. Paul, and suddenly my kids are, you know, oh, hey, I got a job for your kids, you know, job offers, and oh, yeah, we're going to have a concert on our front lawn, and uh, oh, come to the parade, and we're like, what in the, you know, oh, this is a neighborhood, like, this is like something out of the 1930s, and what happened here, you know? <laughs> well, this is great and wonderful, right? Uh, very unusual, right? But that's, that's the idea of you being built together, being built together. So the Spirit builds the body together. 
There are people here, I pray, for you to pray with, cry with, rejoice with, believe with, and God will lead you by his spirit into some way of building the temple of his people. Here are surrounding ministries, you know. So the invitation today from the Holy Spirit, not just from me, is first of all, access the presence of the Father. You have privilege to enter by the work of the Spirit. Secondly, let the Spirit lead you in how you are to build up, being built together to strengthen the body of Christ. And I say this, we do, uh, if you're new here, just say, we do do a lot with soul healing and, and people you know, getting restored in Christ and all that, and we're gonna keep doing that. But one thing that we realize as elders, we wanna remind you, don't wait until you think you're like, oh, I'm all good 10 years later, and now I'm gonna do something. You'll actually grow faster finding some appropriate area of service along the way as you're growing in your wholeness in Christ, right? So don't just sit there and wait, you know, <laughs> go for it. Because the Holy Spirit, I'm not just saying this. If you're tuned in, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you probably, not just like right now, but throughout your life, leading you in finding ways to give and serve. There's always opportunity to serve in the body of Christ. We saw that today in the announcements. That is the Holy Spirit's work to help you really find the fun is involvement. And I say that as, you know, uh, I've been involved here since I was 21. All right, so... Uh, the second way the church shows God's reality is by the work of the Spirit. One final way the church shows God's reality, and that's by manifesting the wisdom of the Father. Right? Son, Spirit, now the Father. So uh, there's a lot here. I don't want to overkill it, but uh, read... <laughs> How do I say this? Just so you get the context, start in Ephesians 3, 1, but like... Knock your brain in gear at verse six, okay? But we'll just read the rest so you get the context, okay? So here we go. Because of this, therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then Paul loses his thought until verse 14. So okay, he's not gonna talk about that anymore. All right, verse two. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me on behalf of you. That is, the mystery made known to me in accordance with the revelation, as I briefly wrote before, according to which when you read it, you're able to apprehend my understanding of the mystery of Christ. That's a lot of words. He's gonna tell you a mystery, okay? Hang in. <laughs> which revelation was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as has now been made known by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, if you think that was a long sentence, it's worse in Greek, okay? He just keeps going, but we're kind of breaking into sentence for you, English readers. All right, here it is, the mystery, verse six, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and belong to the same body and are sharers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, woo, right? Uh, of which gospel I became a servant in accordance with the gift of the grace of God given me in accordance with the working of his power. Okay, back this grace again. Verse eight, this grace was given to me to less than least of all the saints, namely to preach to the Gentiles the inexhaustible, inscrutable riches of Christ and to bring to light for all what is the stewardship of the ministry hidden from past ages in God who created all things in order that, what? Now here's the reason. Verse 10, wake up again. That was a lot of words. Why did, was this mystery given to him? In order that God's wisdom, the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies through the church. Okay? Whew, I know it's a lot of words. But I want you to see 
Jew and Gentile are fellow heirs, verse 6. Verse 10, this makes God's wisdom known to the spiritual powers through the church. Now, he's not talking about nice guardian angels. He's talking about evil spiritual powers, and they are accusing God of being unjust and just like them, selfish and power-hungry. So to explain this, let me just allude to Job chapter 1, and I think you'll see it. What's the deal in Job chapter 1? You remember this? You know, have you considered my servant Job? By the way, do you want God bragging about you? If you read Job 1, you're going to be like, God, don't brag about me, okay? But all right, so, all right. Hey, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan goes, you know what? You buy your friends. The only reason he's that way is you bless him, you protect him. If you let me touch him, he won't bless you anymore. Well, read the whole book. What happens? He is in agony. He complains. He wants to talk to God, but never does he cease to worship. Job proves he's the beginning where the continuation. Job proves that the ways of God, the wisdom of God in the way he designed the world in salvation history, that you can produce unselfishness and godliness in humanity. That not everyone is like fallen demons, that it's all about power and God, you've just got the biggest stick. And if I had the stick, I'd be, you know, no. He's saying, no, love is possible. Love for God and one another is possible. Job proves it. But this is the part where we want to feel the call of God. Paul says, that's exactly what God is doing right now through the church. Oh. (laughs) In other words, our response to those different from us in Christ, well, certainly out of Christ as well, but you know what I'm saying, the church demonstrates that God's plan works. It demonstrates the accusing spiritual powers. In other words, Christ's love, and for them Jew and Gentile, for us the reconciled multicultural church, demonstrates to the accusing spiritual powers that love is possible. That God's wisdom and salvation does result in little Christ serving and loving even across ethno-linguistic and cultural barriers. Now, I don't want to embarrass Zoa because she's representing other people, but you get that. She's part of leading a ministry, right? And she is speaking for someone else. And that demonstrates the love of Christ. Some of you might be like, I've got a car I could give away. That demonstrates the love of Christ. It demonstrates that we're not limited or trapped in our own little social circles. What does it mean? It means love fearlessly. And it's a reminder... I need this once in a while. I don't know if you do. I need this once in a while. It's a wake-up call. What is life really about? Right? You know, well, you know, I got to pay the bills, which I do. And I, you know, my bills got bigger <laughs> when I remarried and bought a new house. So, ah, you know, <laughs> okay, I get it. But what is life about? Well, one thing Paul says life's about is demonstrating. See, uh, one last backup and then we'll finish. <laughs> this, this is for the intellectuals, okay. 
Have you ever heard of a theodicy? Like, you know, how, how can God, why is there evil in the world? And how can a good God allow evil? You ever been asked that question? Paul gives here the most profound answer in the Bible. The reason that we're still working with that question is that God's final answer is the church. That question won't be resolved, he's saying, until the church is living in love multiculturally. And that's demonstrating the wisdom of God that in fact God was right to do things the way he designed them. And so the final answer to the problem of evil is the church living out their calling in Christ. And that will be a part of what happens in the final judgment is demonstrating that what God did was wise and worth it. So love fearlessly. Demonstrate God's reality. Do I have to agree with everything you think to love you? No. <laughs> no, in fact, my love demonstrates I'm bigger than all of our small ideas. Love is bigger than opinions. The risk and the work of love is worth it. Now, if you've tried to love, you understand that it's not just, a, oh, I feel great and I like my friends and oh, it's so good to, you know, people love you, you love them and oh, it's so wonderful. No, it's work. As you evaluate where to get involved in the body of Christ, I want you to ask yourself, where can I genuinely benefit another person and where can my soul be strengthened? Love God fearlessly. Jesus died to give you access. When you feel him the least, pursue him the most. So the final way the church demonstrates God's reality is by showing the wisdom of the Father. So we, the church, demonstrate God's reality by showing the redemption of the Son in our reconciled relationships, the work of the Spirit as we pursue the Lord and find our place in the body, the wisdom of the Father as we love one another, and so notice again, for the second time in Ephesians, a Trinitarian pattern, Son, Spirit, and Father. Certainly, we're called to give up our hostility, our identities in Christ. But I encourage you, especially this morning, yield to the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is leading you into God's presence. The Spirit is leading you into building his house. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence tangibly with us this morning. We thank you for what you're doing in these days. And we, we, we ache for the hurting world around us. We ache for divisions, racism, violence and conflict, addictions related to drugs and alcohol and sexuality. And Father, we're the first to say we're not perfect, we're on the road, we're growing. But Father, we ache for this broken world. And as we wait before you, we ask that you would lead us by your spirit, first of all, into your presence. And Father, for everyone that struggles to figure that out, what does that mean? How do I do that? I pray for just a work of your spirit in their souls right now to draw near to you. And as we simply say, Lord, I want to be near you. Lord, I pray that you would draw and work and help each one to sense your presence, oh God, and to move in close to you. In fact, I'm just going to pause there a moment. Just bow your head and, and uh, close your eyes just for the issues of privacy. 
If that's a struggle, just to, to really know the Lord's presence, just ask you to raise your hand and, and leave it raised for a while. We're just going to pray. So you struggle with God's presence. You struggle, like, how in the world do I get close to God? Lord, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would break every hindrance, every distraction, and even just false expectations, Lord, and lift those in Jesus' name. And we pray that this today, this very day, and in the coming week, that you'd begin to, to help us to understand how to, how, to ha- how to take advantage of that access that we already have in Christ, that we would live in your presence, and that whether it's a big emotional thing or, a, or just a knowing in our spirit, I pray that joy and peace would begin to break through, that, that distractions, anxiety, uh, the torments of temptation that can be so wearying, we just break that in Jesus' name. We pray your presence, your presence would just draw, oh God. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. And then just one last prayer point. Lord, by your spirit, then we pray for all of us. Lead us. Lead us into relationships, whether small groups, ministries, living situations. Lead us that where we could give and receive where we could strengthen the body of Christ and where we could share the love of Christ to those who do not yet know you. We ask you to position us for a harvest this fall, this semester, Lord. Position us relationally that we could see people come to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.